uh, normally is that there'd just be some samples. So you'd have like maybe on a table, you'd have a sample of the wood, a sample of the, the countertop, and then a yeah. sample of the paint. So that's fine for getting the general idea of what the colors are going to be. But it, it really does matter when everything is actually put into a room, because when you have those small samples, it might work. But when the entire countertop or the entire flooring is basically put into a room, it might actually be more overpowering than you think it would be. When it's just on the table, you go, oh, okay, there's this accent wall, there's that. But then in practice, when you actually build it all out and you paint the walls, you put that countertop in, everything may not work as cohesively as you think. Whereas with our renders, we can show you it exactly what the proportions are going to be for that material in the space. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Shahid Dharani. Today we have with us Nick LeBlanc and Greg Miles. They're the co-founders of Luminous Labs. Their team of experienced designers and visualizers use cutting-edge technology to create stunning, lifelike 3D renderings of your architectural designs. Whether you're an architect looking to showcase your latest project to clients, a developer looking to visualize a new building, or a homeowner looking to see your dream home before construction begins, their team has the visual tools to bring your design to life. Welcome to our show, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks for having us. My pleasure. There must be a story behind this. I know we touched upon it a little bit, but I sense that you guys know each other for a very long time. Can you share with us how this company became to what it mm -hmm. is today? How did it all start? Nick, yeah. you can uh, you probably start with that and just say how you got into it. Yeah, so I I was in toying around with the 3D programs at my father's studio for the longest time. My father's an architect and he always was pushing me to pursue these kind of render engines to see what they were capable of. And I took a knack to it pretty early. I loved just the, the systems behind it and seeing behind the curtains of how everything worked. So I ended up working at their studio for a little bit, doing some of their visualizations. And mm. then I would say just before COVID, we, I got an opportunity for a job that was a bit bigger scale than what we were used to. Yeah. And it focused more on interior design as opposed to exteriors, which is what I was doing. So I had actually, I've known Greg since, like we said, elementary school. We've known each other for quite a long yeah. time now. I, it popped up that he, I think he might have messaged me that he was using the same mm -hmm. software and had a few questions because he knew I was using the software. So I, jumped on a call with him and we looked at a few things together and he seemed to be really good with the interior stuff. So I, I was like, Hey man, like we, I might have an opportunity if you want to try and bang this job out together, it might be something we could do on the side. And we, we came together and we did the project and it went really well and we just took off from there. Yeah. It was prior to Luminous Labs, I was working for a construction company. And the reason why mm. I had gotten into just the visualizations is we had a large meeting once where I think we were proposing a gas station or a small building, but 
a member of the team who he wasn't a graphic designer, but he basically pulled together just like some photos where he took the road and made like a little pamphlet. But I just knew that if there was a way to really utilize a 3D engine, not just with Photoshop, like putting it together, like I, I knew with an actual 3D engine, you could really create these lifelike renders. And you could not only sell the idea of the building, but almost sell the idea of how it's going to fit into the community. And once we started doing that, we just started like chipping away at it. And then over time, it went from just being something that we were picking up the odd job to, you know, just us doing it full time. When we had actually first technically started it, it was never meant to be a full time job. Like we had just started it going, Nick was going to go into architecture and I was, I was in the CPA program. So I was actually going to be an accountant. So that was a bit of a change, but yeah, ever since then, it just slowly started growing where it went from, like I said, just being a side project to being something that we do full time. And then something that we do about two and a half times full time. It's just been going like that ever since. Oh, that's great. So how has the industry changed since you guys entered into it? There's a lot of new stuff happening nowadays, right? Especially with artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually something that's interesting in itself, because if we think about it in the physical world, where we're from in Halifax, it's, uh, there's so much construction going on now. It's crazy. Like in our whole lives, there was really no huge projects going on. Like there'd be the occasional project that pops up, but they were all pretty small projects. Now it seems like every company's building these enormous projects. So that's been great mm. for us. But then if you look more on like the digital side, there's been so many improvements, even over the last two or three years, whether it's uh, new versions of Blender, which is our main software, or Unreal Engine, all of these other softwares that we can touch a little bit more on, but it's constantly changing. And that's where it's an odd relationship between the sort of like our digital skills and then the construction industry, because I don't think anyone's going to say the construction industry is an extremely fast moving industry. It's something that if a construction company is planning to do a project, they're almost planning in a 10 year timeline. It might be like, you have to get the land, you have to get the building, all this stuff for a large project. 10 years in our industry is it's like, everyone's using different equipment. Everyone's using different skills. There's like the software that we're, we might be using in five years might only be invented in three, like three years from now. So it's very fast mm. moving. And so a part of our job is to, to wrangle all of this new information and to really understand how to use it in an effective way, because throughout the lifetime of uh, even just one of the projects that we're working on, there might be some huge upgrades to to our workflow. So we need to not only figure out how to use that at a commercial level, but then also to bring all of the past projects that we're doing up to date with that. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit. So is it unique that you guys offer your service to private homes as well? Someone building a custom home, is that usually common for an individual that wants to build a home for themselves to use your service? So it could be. Oh, it depends usually on, large. Yeah. yeah, it depends, it depends on, the, yeah. on the builder. Some architects, like they actually do renders and some architect firms will do renders, but it's not mm. really what they get paid to do. And it's not what they went to school for. You don't yeah. learn a lot of the render engine stuff in school. So if it's someone that, you know, is really passionate about it and likes to finick with stuff and wants to try it out themselves, then sometimes you'll get an architect that, you know, could maybe provide you some decent renders as well. but what we found there was really a market for kind of the marketing style renders. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times yes. they can give you really preliminary kind of blocks that go up. and Pondo buildings. The, yeah, it gets the point across. You can tell what's going there, but you, you don't yeah. really 
get a feel for the building or a feel for where you're going to live. But your stuff, we, you get a feel you're there. Yeah. yeah. We try we, to make it uh, it up, yeah. Yeah, as, as photorealistic as possible, which is all part of the fun. And that actually sometimes almost leads to its own problems because sometimes <laughs> things are only like things may be decided on at sort of like a high level. So once you kind of once we actually build it out, then people you can actually start to get down into some really small details where we've been in calls where they're basically then deciding on like the rails at the bar, the barn doors are going to be on or whether or not like the lights, light switch plates have like screws in them and stuff like that. So as, as the project goes along, it goes from being like almost like very high level stuff where we're like, okay, here, like what the walls are going to look like. Here's what the kitchens are going to look like. Then the next draft might be like, okay, what's the furniture going to look like? And then past that, you can get really down into the details. Some projects I'd say are more accuracy sensitive, I'll say. Like sometimes clients are happy with it. It's like as long as it's like it captures the general spirit of it, then if there's a couple small changes, they're okay with it. Or there are other times where we basically the client wants to spend a lot more time to really dial in those details. And we can do either. It really does just depend on the client. But for the most part, if people need to see exactly what something is going to look like, we can provide something that's very close. So as designers, how do you incorporate your uniqueness? Because I believe that every human being has a very special uniqueness about them, especially in the wisdom that they share with the world through their actions. How do you incorporate your individual uniquenesses into the visualization? That's a good question. Yeah. I'd say a lot of the times... We are working with different firms. So a lot of the times the design will be primarily designed by the architect themselves. And sometimes they'll actually have interior designers that, that do separate from the architect's drawings. So we kind of work with both teams on bringing everything together and visualizing everything. Greg used to use a great example of, I guess, everyone reading a book as reading the construction documents, as opposed to everyone watching a movie together, which is what we try to provide is we create mm -hmm. the visuals to put in mm -hmm. front of the team so that they can come into a meeting, all seeing the same thing, as opposed yeah. to when you read a book, like you, you get up 10 different people visiting mm -hmm. 10 different things. So we try to create the most photorealistic yeah. images as possible just to mm -hmm. connect all the teams. So it's a sense of almost connecting people, but then. We're also diving into the educational side as well. Greg's got some tutorials on YouTube where we go over some of the software that we use and how it applies to different industries. So I'd say we have more kind of uniqueness in sharing the knowledge and stuff mm, like that. The way you share. Of, I do think something that we can definitely help out with when we're doing these large projects is oftentimes a lot of things get pushed up and down where it's like the designers going back to the owners, talking to the architects and stuff like that. But typically if we're doing one of these large projects, we're in talks with all parties. So if the designers are making a change or the architect needs to make a change, we can typically take that and just make the change in our software. And then that's sort of just because everyone's looking at our virtual tours or our stills, that sort of spreads throughout the entire supply line where, yeah, you can basically just see changes more up to date. And then that way, if someone is looking at the virtual tour, they can see, they can look at it and go, oh, okay, they had to lower the bulkhead by a foot. They had to change the kitchen, however that is. And that way it just keeps people with up-to-date visuals. It's because even if you're just looking at the documents all day, it's much easier to catch something that may not be correct on in our 3D software because it's just how our minds work. The 2D, mm. like people are more than capable of reading the 2D drawings, but 
it's much easier for someone just to miss like a little note or maybe just like a small measurement. I think that the way that we show a lot of these apartments or these buildings, it's just much more natural to how your brain is going to pick up on how everything is going to look, if that makes sense. And it also gives them a chance to view materials beforehand as well, which we can tie pricing into. Yeah. If you're between type of marble for your countertops in the building, uh, we can bring both options in and show you if this is so much per square foot as opposed to this, mm -hmm. but this will look a lot better. So it gives them mm -hmm. a little bit more ammunition to, to make their and, decisions. And one last so, note I will actually make about that mm -hmm. story, because it was what Nick was actually just talking about is the uh, typically the way that it works uh, normally is that there'd just be some samples. So you'd have like maybe on a table, you'd have a sample of the wood, a sample of the, the countertop, and then a yeah. sample of the paint. So that's fine for getting the general idea of what the colors are going to be. But it, it really does matter when everything's actually put into a room, because when you have those small samples, it might work. But when the entire countertop or the entire flooring is basically put into a room, it might actually be more overpowering than you think it would be. When it's just on the table, you go, oh, okay, there's this accent wall, there's that. But then in practice, when you actually build it all out and you paint the walls, you put that countertop in, everything may not work as cohesively as you think. Whereas with our renders, we can show you it in, a, in exactly what the proportions are going to be for that material in this space. Very good. Let me change that question. So say you had to redo the business, launch everything from start. What's that one thing you would do different to achieve the success you have today as fast as possible? I would probably say, so we have a huge library of assets and it's almost a job in itself just to maintain them. We just started using Dropbox for one about last November. We were using Google Drives, which it wasn't like live syncing, which we don't need to have like extremely up-to-date versions. Like we don't have to have it like someone makes a change, the other person's going to have it in 10 seconds. But if you look at it day to day, it is important that if Nick was working on a file on Tuesday, if I open it on Thursday, I have the most up-to-date version. That's something that I think was really important to us. Like, I think that was a turning point. Uh, most of the stuff I think that I would change is just that we've learned so many organizational tricks for our software that at the beginning, we were doing it, it was much more brute force. At the beginning, if we were doing 10 apartments and it had the same sofa, we were actually placing that sofa in 10 different units. And so what would happen is a client would say, we don't, we don't like the pillow on that sofa. Could you replace it with this one? We'd have to go and change it 10 times. So we developed a method of just having it so that there's one master file and it basically goes into mm -hmm. all of the other ones. And then that way, if we change it, it'll update. A lot of it really is just keeping information up to date and trying to work smarter, not harder. I don't know if mm. there's any massive, I, I like a blunder or something that we would have done. I can't really think of mm. much can that you, I'm like, we really need to change. Mm. Mostly, so can you, I think we just, we, we had a good, uh, we had a good, uh, I guess we, we came in at a good time, we'll say, because when we started, we actually started the company right at the beginning mm. of COVID. Uh, so we had a lot of time on our hands. Like we yeah. had a lot of time to look into the software, to get the website up and running, to look at different techniques on how to do things. So yeah. uh, I think a lot of it was just finding the time to, to do the right things and finding the time to, to do what makes the most sense. If we were going back, it would be great to know that Dropbox could keep our files up to date and it'd be great to have these methods that we use to 
to really hone in the changes when they come in. But yeah, I think we also got Real pretty time. lucky with Halifax blowing up the yeah, way it yeah. did. But that's yeah. wonderful. That's um, great news. I yeah, didn't know. I, mean, I thought Halifax is really slow, slow. in growth. Yeah. When, it yeah, has been but for, us, for most of our last, life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say around. So there was a large development downtown, and that that sort of was like the spark. The mm. Nova Center is basically like a huge convention center that just got popped down right in the middle of town. But Halifax had a lot of weird <gasps> laws about. Are you familiar with the, the Citadel? No. So Halifax has like a big fortress at the top. And that's always been like a big top of a hill, top of a hill. Sorry. There was an old law saying that you can't block the view from the force. They need to have these certain lanes, basically, because what would happen is if someone invaded Halifax back in like the 1800s, they need to be able yeah. to shoot cannons <laughs> to the harbor. Right. There was a lot of these weird laws. And it was just like it's like the, the view planes are a big deal in Halifax. And I think they so loosened they got that rid up of them. a little bit. I don't yeah. know if they yeah. got rid of them, but they definitely loosened oh. it up because the yeah. building that one talking about, the Nova Center, I think it's 15 stories, maybe a bit higher, but that's right in front of Citadel Hill. So it seems like after that, not only was the the money that people were spending on jobs, that seemed to go up, but it just seemed like a lot of projects that wouldn't have been allowed 10, 15 years ago were being allowed now. Like even the the tallest building that we had, I think that was built in like the 70s or the 80s. And that, that was the tallest building, I think, east of Montreal. And it's just oh. like a, they recently renovated it, but it was just like a tall rectangular building. They just slapped it down. Like it wasn't anything. It, was not, it wasn't like a defining landmark. It was just a big, tall rectangle that popped out, basically. So yeah. could you share, could you guys share a strategy that helped you land the clients that you landed? I think a big thing for us is the fact that the majority of our clients are local. I think that if there's a lot of people that are in our industry that might struggle with getting clients, I would think a lot of the time they're trying to almost do it over the internet, which there is a time and place for that. We have met some clients from the States or Western Canada, but I'd say for the most part, if someone was like, if we, we already had some connections, because as Nick mentioned, he was in architecture and I was in the construction industry. So we did have some connections. But if we were starting with no connections, we'd probably have to go and just knock on some doors of uh, construction companies, basically, because so you already had like, connections. Some, yeah, yeah, not. Yeah. We've definitely grown a lot of the connections. But part of the reason why we started this is because we had the connections. Where So it's yes. like one of those things that is it's like we were in it, like we saw like how the industry was functioning. We said, OK, we can make some money from doing this like side business. And then that so they, they kind of go hand in hand. But I yeah. think um Really, it's if people wanted to just generate more business, it's to really focus on the city that you're in. As long as there's like some jobs, a lot of times if you can get a meeting with someone and really show them what you're doing, it's a much easier sell than if you just email them and say, mm. "Hey, yeah. we do renders." Because there's people from like India or China or Europe, everywhere. Or, yeah, everywhere is that, you, that you might just get a message, and I, even I get them all the time. Where it's, it might be someone, it says like they're from like. You know, Australia or India or something, and they do CAD drawings and stuff, but we just get all these old calls. So sometimes that may work, but I think for the most part, you really do need to identify people that could use your service and then try and directly speak to someone, not just mm -hmm. sending out like a random, not just sending out the feelers, like whether it's sending them a, like maybe find one of the buildings that they've done, like in the city, and then try to do like a render of it where it's just recreated or show off something that. Yeah. Maybe they can improve, like it could have been improved for the next project if they're just doing it in-house. Just little things like mm -hmm. even if it doesn't lead anywhere, 
I know a couple of times we've actually met with people and they, they basically say straight up, we don't have any, we won't have any jobs for, you know, a year or two, just because all the ones we're doing are underway. But then a year and a half later, we get an email from them saying, can we meet about this? So even if it's not immediate, I think it is important to grow those relationships because even if they don't have a job for you, they might be talking to someone who does need a job and they say, oh, you can, you can go talk to Luminous Labs or go meet with Nick and Greg and maybe they can help you out. Yeah, I think communication is very key yeah. in this industry, especially where we're trying to tie all these teams together. I think having a good yeah. communication line and being able to talk to people. It's There's a lot of helpful. lateral relationships where we've worked on some buildings like there's a handful of interior design companies that we worked on with just past projects. And then they end up almost incorporating us into their proposals where they, now they actually say if they're doing this job, they'll put a certain portion into the budget if the client wants renders, and then they just facilitate all the renders. So we don't actually have to deal with the, the client directly. They, the interior designer basically gets us to show how the lobby is going to look. And then when they go to their meetings, they say, do we need to adjust anything for the lobby? And if the client says, no, it's good, then we just finalize it for them. And if they say, oh, we need to adjust this and move some things around, then normally we can just work with the interior designer to bring that back up to where it needs to be. Wonderful. Greg, Nick, you guys are on something because it sounds like Halifax is growing and you're not limited mm -hmm. to Halifax. Obviously, mm -hmm. you can do this work all over the world. The more you get known and <clears throat> going on podcasts is a really good idea. Like you should definitely look into doing a tour, a podcast tour, hiring like a professional company and they set mm -hmm. it all up. But definitely because there's so much work all over the world, especially in construction, that could help you. Yeah. There's strategic partnerships where you don't need to meet the client. You just do the work for them. Those yeah. are ideal as well. So I appreciate your time today coming on the show, wishing you guys all the best. And it was great to have you. If there's any mm -hmm. final words you want to share, please go ahead. That's everything from my end. Just, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having us on. Yeah, no, no fantastic. Like I said, it's always nice to meet someone, try something out. So uh, yeah, thank you very good. much for having us on and sure we'll be talking again in the future. My pleasure. I'm always there to add value as much as we can because what you guys are doing is basically inspiring other people to do something because there's a lot Absolutely. of skills and talents that people are sitting on. My late mentor used to say that most ideas are stillborn because they get in their own way. They don't take that step. So you coming on the show and showing how you guys did take that step and mm -hmm. made it successful and you're growing is ideal for this show. So I appreciate your time and thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again. Yeah. Yeah, my